Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Conquer Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Tristan Mathers, and today I have a very special guest and a good friend joining me. He is a financial planner at Commonwealth Financial Group with a background in sports, strong work ethic from growing up on the farm. And let me tell you, this dude is swole. If you go and check him out online, you'll, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. And uh, he has a passion for helping others. His journey from sales to financial planning has empowered him to educate and guide a diverse range of clients, bridging the gap between blue-collar and white-collar worlds. I have the honor to have him as my own personal financial advisor, and he's a damn good friend of mine. So get ready for a badass conversation on financial empowerment and personal growth as we welcome Andrew Howergan, a.k.a. better known as Drew, the advocate for your financial best interest to the show. Brother, this has been long overdue, and I'm excited to dive into it. Well, man, you're so you're flattering me with the uh, with the intro. You're gonna make me blush there. He is blushing, guys. <laughs> <laughs> How are you man, doing? Still working, on, still working on taking those compliments. I appreciate it, brother. It's all good, man. I feel the same way. I'm very pale. So when somebody does say something good, I'm just like, what do I do? Yeah, right. All of a sudden, you're colored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So. How's it been? How we were catching up a little bit beforehand. I'm still down to talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, man. Just uh really at a crazy place in the business. Um, um, just kind of hired an assistant to really take some of that work off my plate, growing, um, you know, be able to more efficiently serve clients, but also serve at a higher level at the same time. Um, mm. and really just kind of um allow someone to do some of the things that they might be better at me then and allow yeah. me to operate in my zone of genius and keep keep focused on what I need to be focused on. Yeah, I've been on the same page, man, because as you can tell, I've been busting out this these podcasts like crazy. And uh, I'm realizing that I'm really not that good at technical stuff. And mm. I need to get to a place where I can hire and I'm, I'm good at talking. I'm good at conversating. I'm good at building people up. I love these podcasts. Don't get me wrong. But like I have what almost 12 hours of content that I want to make all these reels on and stuff. So I'm going to, I need to get to a place, Mr. Financial advisor. He's been kicking me off in the good spots, but I keep throwing him bones with the new things. Curveballs. Curveballs <laughs> with what I got going on, but it's okay. I know what you That's mean. That's what though. life is about. That's what life is about. You got to just handle the curveballs. Mm -hmm. Curveballs, I should say. Yeah. But I know what you mean. I want to, I want to get to a spot by this time next year where I'm just locked in on what I'm very good at and hire out all the stuff that I don't like to do. <clears throat> yeah, man. I think, um, that's the, like the big challenge in business, um, or in life is realizing, because I think we grow up being like, we need to be the master of master of everything or, or jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, um, and then you realize that like, you can't possibly be good at everything but it's at, at the same time, it's hard to pass that, pass that off, mm. um, kind of release that responsibility to someone else, which is why having processes and systems and all that good stuff in place is so important, but, um, it's easier said than done. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it's like, you think these things are going to happen quicker than they, than they actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely got the I'm starting to understand the entrepreneurial world more, the more actions I take into stepping into bigger 
better things. And it's just like, damn, now I understand why you are hiring an assistant and why Ryan Stewart has all these people working within the do his things and just other business people around the world. Like it makes perfect sense now. Yes, they're good at one awesome thing, but like to keep that awesome thing becoming more awesome, you got to have the people delegate. around you. Yeah. Delegate. Yeah. I mean, um, I used to make a list like this, like a whole page, you know, there's probably 30 plus items on this list. And I used to think that I was going to get all that done in a day, which is completely not realistic, right? I was going to use another word, but completely <laughs> unrealistic to expect one person to get all these things done. And so when you're thinking about all these little things you need to get done that are cluttering your mind and you're, and you're getting decision fatigue um, and brain fog, essentially self-induced brain fog from all these things that you, you're thinking about as a business owner, or as an entrepreneur, um, at first, it's kind of like a necessary evil. You got to wear all the hats. You got to get the ball rolling. Um, but eventually you got to, you know, find out what you're good at, what you like doing um, and do those things move the big items, keep you, keep your, um, you know, focus on those big rocks, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, and let all the sand and pebbles be, be handled by somebody else. Do delegate delete, right? So you want to do what you're good at, do what's important, delegate what's still important, but what you shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. and delete the things that you shouldn't be doing. Cause I think a lot of the time as entrepreneurs or business owners or people in general, we always think about what should we be doing? What should we be doing? What should we be doing? But a lot of times we miss cutting out the things we shouldn't be doing. Mm. Makes a lot of sense for all the listeners here. Take that lesson to heart now so you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> if, I could, if I could go back, I mean, I, I, might, I might have, you know, learned that a little sooner. But either way. Mm -hmm. Very just, blessed to yeah. be learning it now. For sure. I'm very blessed to have an awesome financial advisor keeping me at bay. <laughs> yeah, man. I've got a, a, one of the things I say, and this is not, um, you know, towards any one individual, including yourself. I say this all the time to clients and people. It's like humans in general, especially entrepreneurs, I think we get that shiny object syndrome, um, whether it's shiny object syndrome or just in general, we make emotional decisions with our, with our money. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, so whether that's chasing a shiny object in your business that you maybe shouldn't be chasing or buying a shiny object in your personal life that you maybe shouldn't be buying, mm -hmm. right? we make emotional decisions with our money, even really smart people. We make emotional decisions with our money. Like a prime example might be a business owner being like, hey, I bought this nice brand new truck because it's a write-off, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, you bought an $80,000 truck to save you know, a couple, you know, $10,000, $20,000 on taxes you still spent an extra $60,000. You're still out $60,000 and you really needed to be. Mm. Right? So if you really needed that truck, it's a good purchase. But if you didn't really need the truck, then you're just kind of buying an expensive item to um, you know, get a tax break. And so that would be what I call making an emotional decision and then justifying it with logic after the fact, which is what yeah. a lot of people do. So instead, let's get ahead of it. Um, look emotionally or look logically at the situation and then beforehand, actually think through how does logic and emotion intersect with this decision? And there, if we kind of talk and think through that, we should make a lot less mistakes 
um, over our life, whether it be in business or financially or and with any decision-making process. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, to sum that up, really just having another set of eyes that's looking out for you, um, looking over your shoulder, it's going to, mm-hmm. you know, whether in life or business, kind of save you from some of those mistakes. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to second that as well, because you don't know what you don't know. And when you got a professional over here, like you said, looking over your shoulder, it's definitely a helping hand. Um, I, I, he's taught me a lot, you know, that I wouldn't have known if I wouldn't have made that investment. And to talk about that a little bit more, man, what got you to the investment, uh, advising or financial advising side of things? Like, what is your story from, you can tell it however you want. You can leave out juicy details. You can add juicy details in here. Just like, where did it start? What did you go through to make you into who you are now? Yeah, man. Uh, well, if I went into all the juicy details, we would be here, for the rest of the episode and then some, and it would consume the whole time. So I won't do that. But what I can tell you is, um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Vermont um, with more cows than people, I like to say. And it's still <laughs> true to this day. I think, um, you know, the dairy farms and cows in general are, are going away, not entirely, but they're just kind of being reduced in number. There's less farmers now, right, than there used to be. But either way, a small town um, with one light, one stop sign. And um, I just learned a really hard work ethic through that. I spent all my, you know, after school or weekends or summers or school vacations with my cousins on the farm, whether that be in the barn, in the field or in the woods, tapping maple trees, (laughs) making maple syrup, carrying it around through the woods. Um, And, you know, when you're like 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, trying to carry two five-gallon pails full of tree sap, which is essentially like water, right? With a little bit of sugar in it um, that comes from the tree. You're trying to carry that through um, snow that's like up to your knees or up to your waist. It's like, they call it a farmer's walk, but this is like that, but harder because you're holding it up like this because you're wow. so deep. <laughs> my, 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 uh, when my cousin's papa, he used to say, the snow's touch hole deep on a 10-foot Indian out there. It was just one of his sayings. <laughs> Hold on, say that one more time. What was that? He'd be like, yeah, the snow's touch hole deep on a 10-foot Indian. Fuck. <laughs> I'm doing my <laughs> best. One of his metaphors, right? But, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyways, we grew up kind of just doing some crazy stuff where it didn't matter what the conditions were, had to get the job done. And you had to figure out a way and you had to improvise and you had to be creative. Um, and so that's definitely where as a farmer or growing up on a farm or around a farm, you learn how to be that jack of all trades, mm. but you definitely are not a master of necessarily one. Um, so, so as I kind of grew up, um, I had this, weird hybrid because I didn't actually live on the farm. My dad was a UPS man. So I had the freedom of like leaving the farm when I wanted to, I could go play hockey. I could go play football. Some of my cousins didn't have that luxury. They were, they were stuck on the farm no matter what. Um, So that said, I got exposure to the farm. I got exposure to sports and I was kind of always, um, you know, an athlete. I was kind of always in shape because of that. And then as I got kind of up into high school, I, I grew late. So I didn't hit puberty to like sophomore, even closer to junior year. And so I went from, uh, and the re- and you'll understand why this is important and relevant in a minute, but 
I went from essentially being the star athlete to being like kind of an average mediocre athlete. Mm. So that was tough. Like I went from being like top dog playing quarterback on the football team, touching the ball every play to like getting questionable playing time. Cause you hit puberty late and it just was hard to adjust. Is that why? I think, yeah. I mean, I was like a dominant physical athlete and then I was like just not so dominant anymore because I grew late. Then as I kind of went into like my later years of high school, I grew again. And like by my senior year, I had kind of come back around, but it was almost too little too late. Right. Mm. So I felt like I got slighted and I didn't know this at the time. I, I have done a lot of reflecting and realization, self-realization since then to kind of understand why some of the things happened in my life. But, you know, um, I was always, always an athlete. And then kind of when that ended, I went to school, went to UVM, University of Vermont. I played club football there, but I soon realized that playing football in front of a crowd of, you know, 30 to 50 people uh, for club for a club college team was a lot less exciting than playing in front of several hundred or a couple thousand people in your hometown. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the gusto and the enthusiasm behind playing kind of faded. And I was also dealing with some, you know, nagging shoulder injuries. So I was like, you know what, is this really worth it anymore? And I hung up the cleats. And then, um, you know, I also kind of stopped going to college shortly after that. I only went for one year for engineering because I soon figured out that um, I was chasing something that I didn't really, really know what I wanted. I, I was going to engineering school because I thought it sounded good. And I learned very quickly that, you know, I didn't have a passion for engineering and I couldn't make myself learn this material. All right. So um, after about three semesters, I stopped going to college and then I went through some dark times where I was like kind of searching for, you know, who I was going to be, what I was going to do. I felt mm-hmm. like I had to have my life all figured out. Um, and obviously, you know, I think a lot of, you know, young people or 20 year olds or early 20 year olds or people in their, you know, they're coming out of high school in their late teens they are put with this expectation that you have to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And that then once you decide that, okay, I need to make this decision. Now I make this decision like, Oh, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go into medicine. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an accountant, whatever that is. If it doesn't work out how you thought it was going to work out, it's like this devastating thing. And you think you're a failure. And I, I think I lived, I lived through that. And I think I've, seen and heard and witnessed a lot of other people live through that Mm -hmm. Um, and so now you go through your 20s and I think it's kind of this enlightening period where you realize that life slaps you in the face and says hey this isn't going to go how you thought it was going to go it's time for you to pivot and adapt and adjust and realize that this is the real world now right and Mm -hmm. so after that all happened um I I worked at a moving company actually for a little while. I did these blue collar jobs. I grew up on a farm. Then I did moving. I did garage doors. Um, I did, uh, I mean, I worked at a metal fabrication shop briefly. Mm. And then, um, you know, like I said, I got in trouble. I actually crashed four cars. What? Yeah. yeah, So like in that span of like these blue collar jobs where I was, it wasn't the jobs. It was just me feeling like I had failed, I think, in hindsight, and like beating myself up, not having a direction, not having a purpose. And, you know, um, because of all that, what happened in high school, 
I kind of went from being like the cool kid, the jock to kind of trying to fit in. I wasn't really part of any of the cliques, right? So I would be like a little bit redneck, but I was also a little bit jock and I was also a little bit um, interested in this and that. So I could connect and relate to all these different types of people, but I wasn't actually like in the, the inner circles of any of these cliques, right? So I kind of got like, I was almost like a, an outlier if you will. Mm. And I had a really hard time facing that in high school because high school, it's your world, it's your environment that you're engulfed in and you feel like you need to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. I remember my parents being like, hey, like this isn't going to matter in five years. It's all good. Like, you know, <laughs> yep. and I, I wish I hated that advice sooner because they were so, tr- they were so right. But um, anyways, I went through this period in my early 20s where I think because of that high school experience, I was trying to be the cool guy. I was trying to fit in. And because of that, I made a lot of bad choices, trying to fit in with people that I shouldn't have been trying to fit in with, doing a lot of drinking, doing like some drugs and stuff like that. Like I said, making a lot of bad choices. And like I said, um, crashed four cars, like God bless. Like I never hurt anyone else or myself significantly enough to the point where I'm still here talking about it. After the fourth one, you know, there's drinking and driving involved, all four of those, I'll admit. And that's not even really the juicy details. I could go into each event individually, um, but they were all very significant. I should, I honestly had no business walking away from any of them individually, not to mention all four. Right. And so the fourth one, I hit a telephone pole at about 35 miles an hour, snapped it in half after falling asleep at the wheel. Oh, and, damn. You fell asleep. Yeah. yeah. And so I woke up to a telephone pole in my face about 30 or 40 yards in front of my car on a rainy night. And, you know, I tried to steer to avoid it. And it was just all mud because my tire was already off the road. And, um, yeah, I went straight into it. So I remember, like, I broke the windshield with my forehead despite the airbags going off and my seatbelt being on. So my head's ringing. I'm smelling the, the smell of you know, essentially gunpowder and latex. I don't know if you've ever smelt an airbag going off, but it's a very Mm. distinct smell that you'll never forget. It's like you're smelling, pardon me, but it's like you're smelling a gun that just got shot and a condom at the same time. Wow. (laughs) You can use a lot of uh, imagery for that. It's like like latex and gunpowder. It's like the weirdest combination of things, right? So anyways... I'm like sitting there, ears are ringing. I'm like, my car's in the middle of the road, smashed. And I'm like, okay, I have been risking mine and others' lives for way too long. I have no business still being alive at this point. Um, I had a lot of shame and guilt that I was carrying, but something hit me like, man, you are still here for a reason. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to wake up. You've got to cut the bullshit because how old were you at this time? I was probably 20. I was 21. Okay. And then even after that fourth wreck, I still did it again. I, I never wrecked again, but I drank and drove again. And then I got my DUI. The DUI is when I finally changed. I finally woke up. And granted, I got crucified. I got all the fines I could possibly get. That thing cost me probably $30,000. $10,000. 
and like direct fees and, and all that, but like probably as a ripple effect of losing my job and all the other things I had to go through as a result of it, it was probably $30,000. Um, and I'm not complaining. I, de I fully deserve that. I fully embraced it. I fully just accepted it. Like this is the price I need to pay for all the things that I essentially had done over that course of my life. And so at that moment, I decided that I was going to do whatever it took to get as far away from that place I was as possible mm. and put as much distance between those two points as possible. Mm. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, but a couple of weeks later after that DUI, um, you know, I had this opportunity to go to Philadelphia for this conference and, you know, we met each other through apex, um, You've been to Apex Live, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's similar to that, but bigger. I would say probably comparable to MDM or maybe somewhere in between. It was probably like a 500 person event or so. Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, this this girl from my high school had joined a network marketing company and um, she invited me to go to this um, you know, event with her. And so I obliged. I was like, hey, I got like 700 bucks left to my name and I am about to lose my license. I'm about to pay all these fines. Like might as well have this one last hurrah. That was the way I thought at the time, right? My parents were in my other ear telling me, hey, you can't go. You shouldn't go. Um, you know, you got to save your money to pay all these fines and all this stuff. Mm. And I was like, well, what do I have to lose at this point? I'm screwed either way. Mm -hmm. So I went, something was telling me, something was pulling me to this event, right? She, this, this girl had been following up with me for months, but I was not open to, I was not listening. I was not open to the idea. I didn't even know what she was even trying to tell me or, or show me. Um, and I wasn't listening until this all happened, right? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. So I go mm -hmm. to this conference and it was like, the speakers were speaking directly to me. It was like, I remember I, I bawled like a little baby in the crowd that day because I think they did something similar to Ryan's like best version of UX or best perfect mm. day exercise they did like the imagine the smells imagine the sounds imagine the the feeling of the wind on your face as you drive your 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 oh, yeah. car out of your dream house right it you gets know, you for sure and so like i was just like it was the first time i'd ever been to anything like that or exposed to anything like that and it completely just like let me on fire it was like you know what this is the answer to everything i need right now um i went back I, did, I started that with that company. I built a team of 42 people underneath me. I only ever made $3,500 in that company. So I did a lot of work for a little bit of money. But what I, what I learned was how to build relationships, how to sell something, and that I could earn what I was worth. I could decide my own paycheck rather than exchanging time for money. And I'd never done, I'd never earned money any other way than an hourly wage. And I remember getting my first check. It was like $33, but it was, it was something that I had done for something that like, you know, I could do besides just going to a job. Mm -hmm. I proved that like I could produce an income with something that I brought to the marketplace. Right. I remember that was like the most important, most transformational $33 I ever made. <laughs> I remember posting it on Facebook, like it was still a physical check. And I posted that shit on Facebook. And so that was kind of the start 
of my sales and entrepreneurial journey was in network marketing. And my first, you know, recruit in that company was my now good best friend, John Duda. And I remember I came back from this event and I called it, I call it ignorance on fire. I was, I had no clue what I was doing. I had no tact. I had no process, but I was just so pumped up about this challenge and this product that I was now promoting that people were like, all right, he's excited about something. Let me like hear him out maybe. Mm -hmm. So a couple of people gave me a chance. John was the first one. And it's funny because we were actually like foes in in high school. He actually in in an earlier day, like gotten a scruff with one of my previous better, like best friends. Hmm. And so we joked about that still to this day. Um, But he was like, Hey man, like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'm, I'm kind of open to stuff like this. And so he locked arms with me. He was my first promoter. And that was kind of the start of our friendship. Fast forward to the end of 2014. Um, I started that company. I got the DUI February 8th, 2014. Started in that company by the end of February, early March. Um, and then for the summer of 2014, I was preparing for this um, you know, Vi model competition. So the name of the company was Vistalis. And they did like this, this, this challenge where they essentially would promote this challenge. And to do the challenge, you had to buy their products and the products would help you hit your challenge goal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then project 10. So it was like, you either lose 10 pounds or gain 10 pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to gain 10 pounds of muscle. So I'm doing this challenge. And then they have this competition where if you, you know, submit your entry, um, just like any magazine, like health and fitness or the tattoo ones, right. Where you can like submit yourself and get people to vote for you. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like that. And, but it was for like to be the model, the pr- promo model of this company and a male and a female got selected. So I was running and I got all the way to the finals. Um, like, and the, the finals were in Houston, Texas in September of 2014. So I had no money. I was broke. This was my only income at the time. And so I was like basically putting all of my eggs into this basket of winning this buy model competition, getting to Houston, winning this thing and getting a $5,000 grand prize because that $5,000 grand prize at the time was like everything to me. If I just Mm -hmm. got that five grand, I'd be able to get my license back. Then I could go get a job, could get an apartment. I wouldn't have to be living with my mom anymore. It would be great. Well, I went all the way to Houston, Texas, and I came in second. Oh, shit. Yeah. Damn. And, you know, no matter how many people in the crowd afterwards told me that I should have won and that they were rooting for me, that didn't get me my $5,000 or the the modeling contract that followed, which mm-hmm. I didn't really care about the contract. I just needed that five grand, right? So I'm coming home from Houston with my tail between my legs having put all my eggs into this basket, literally made myself like put all my money towards this. So I'm coming back, no, no trophy, no nothing, no money. And I actually, this, I don't want to delay the story or go down a rabbit hole, but I actually got stranded in Logan airport in Boston on the way home because my friends that went to the event with me or that I went with, I should say, had landed like 30 minutes prior to me back in Boston and they didn't wait. They went back to Vermont and left me there. Oh so shit! In Boston, I had like no phone, no money, and I was stranded in the airport in Boston for eight hours until I waited for a ride. So that was a pretty. So I had a lot of thinking 
to do that day about what I was going to do next with my life. When I got home, my parents were like, all right, time's up. You didn't win this model competition. Time to go get a job. Well, <clears throat> that week I linked up with John and it's funny, the, the story of how I uh, got linked up with John was like, I was still with this buddy that I made a lot of bad decisions with back in the day. And I said, hey, you know, there's this ad for this bar downtown that was doing dollar beers that night. And I was like, I have $6 to my name. That means that I can actually go out tonight and buy myself at least five beers without having to mooch off somebody else. Let's go. So that was my logic still. Yeah. <laughs> like talk about like how broken is that thought process and how like poor. Right. So anyways, we go, but everything happens for a reason. John was there that night at this bar that we had gone to. So my buddy had a, a knack for kind of disappearing, which he did that night. So I ended up going back to John's house and staying over the night on his couch. Well, I never left. We went on a hike the next day. I kind of vented to him my situation. He was like, bro, Dude, just stay with me. I'll get you a job at Verizon. So he was working at Verizon at the time, making like 10 grand a month as like a 21-year-old kid selling cell phones. That was like mind-boggling to me. I was like, what, dude? You're making what? Selling, doing what? <laughs> and he would, he would come home every day and like show me the leaderboard and show me how much money he made. Like, yeah, I made 700 bucks today. Or yeah, I made 500 bucks today or 300 bucks today. And I'd be like, yo, dude, you're like, this is crazy. You got to give me a job. And that's when I got the job at the metal shop. And he would actually bring me to work every day before his shift. And then I would either get a ride home or he would pick me up after his shift. So I was like scrubbing like metal brackets, like deburring them mm. in a metal shop for $14 an hour while I was going through the application process for Verizon. Dude, I got to stop you right there for just one second because we have a lot of parallels here that we didn't ever know about each other. Okay. Number one, the late bloomer thing. I couldn't make varsity my senior year of high school. I was a damn good soccer player, but because I was so damn tiny and I didn't bloom yet that I couldn't play the sports that I needed to play. So there's one. We have a lot of other ones, but two, I also was at a metal shop deburring the the things off of a... I was deburring the brackets for baby changing tables and bathrooms. What? <laughs> okay, mine was a little bit cooler than that. It was a air... I'm in Wichita, Kansas, so it's an airplane capital of the world. And uh, yeah, I was deburring I mean, this place had a lot parts. of government contracts too, but the job that I got was deburring the, 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 the bathroom brackets. I can listen to that sound right now. The... <laughs> yeah, just with like... You know, sandpaper or yep. uh, some wool felt, you know, some wool pads over and over and over again. So you leave every day with your hands all black, you know, you know, yeah. the drill. I cut my hands every day. I was dripping every, blood. Yeah, every, every day. day. Okay, I'll let you continue. I just had to say that. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably good that you, uh, you know, cut me off so I can take a breath and finish this thing up. Okay. So I, I get to the point here. John and another friend who's no longer part of the picture, but he helped at the time, Caleb, was uh, were giving me rides to this metal shop just so I could get something, you know, 300 bucks a week, working full time for 300 bucks a week. Meanwhile, I was seeing them make 300 bucks a day or more. And I was mm. like, you got to get me in. 
And it's a whole other story about how I got hired at Verizon, which is crazy. That's a, that's like literally a story in, a, in and of itself. Um, but eventually, you know, John got me in at Verizon. And that is when I was like, all right, now the world is my oyster. There's people here making 10 grand a month. I'm going to make 10 grand a month. And so like, that was the new bar. That was the new like realm of possibility, right? You, they talk about getting the right rooms. I had never even conceptualized 10 grand a month. Cause like my parents, like growing up, they were great. I had a great, I, I do not complain about my childhood. They did everything they could, but they did not make six figures. Right. So the, 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 the possibility of they do now, but not when I was growing up, the possibility of making six figures selling freaking cell phones was just mind boggling to me, especially at 23 years old. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, so I get going, I hit the ground running and I was terrible. I worked 20, my first full month in the business or on the floor was, um, was December of 2014. That was a record breaking month for the top salesperson in our stores. He made $23,000 that month. He worked every day. Um, and I worked just about every day. I think I worked like 28 shifts that month. I basically worked every day except for Christmas and Christmas Eve. And I made like $3,000. Like I worked every day for like three grand. But, All in. So if you did my hourly, I probably made as much or less than I made at the metal deburring shop, but it was still more money than I'd ever made in a month. So I was hooked. I was mm -hmm. like, I don't care what it takes me. I'm going to work every day until I make 10K in a month. And I pretty much did. My first month, like I said, I made like, I think a little over three grand, like 3,300. Second month, like four grand. Third month, like five grand. Fourth month, like 55. Then fifth month, I think I did like 7,500. This is like May of 2015. And then in June of 2015, I hit 10K. And then in July of 2015, I hit 10K again. And then in August of 2015, I hit 8K. So now in three months, I just made more than I had made the entire previous year. Yep. Yep. Man, so I bet you that felt start, good. So now I'm starting to catch some momentum. Now uh -huh. I'm starting to catch some traction. Now I'm starting to feel like, okay, who the fuck is this guy? I got some mojo back, mm -hmm. right? Then I get into the, the partying again. Uh-oh. You know, now I had some money in my pocket and the partying got a little bit more expensive, if you know what I mean. Yep the wrong crowd and the wrong substances. And then that was a whole nother iteration of Drew needing to grow up. Mm -hmm. Figured out how to make money, figured out how to produce an income, but I hadn't yet figured out how to keep it and how to take care of it. So I went through that cycle for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I hit this uh, point in my career where I was working at Verizon, I could pretty much make 10 grand a month at will. Now I'd build my skill set. I was in leadership. I was running the trainings. I was the sales trainer for the entire Vermont market. So I was, you know, training about 40 other reps throughout four other stores. We were crushing it. But, and now I was kind of yearning for something more. I was like, Hey, this is transactional. I can make somebody's day. I can be the best phone salesman around. I can get a lot of referrals, a lot of business, make good money. But I was kind of at this plateau, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't making an impact. I was like, I didn't know what the next thing was that I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted something more. I needed, I knew I wanted something that was more impactful. 
Um, I knew I wanted to serve people at a higher level and I knew I needed to want, and I knew I wanted to make more money. I just didn't know what the answer to all those things were that checked those boxes. And when I was back at the moving company, I'll kind of go backwards a little bit here. I remember just like watching my boss pull in, in his BMW. And, and now like, it's funny. That was like the, the pinnacle of success for me. It was like driving a BMW. Not that nothing against BMWs. I drive one, but <laughs> now like, but I didn't even like, like, like a Lambo or any of those things was completely even out of my realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Right? So like a, a, you know, a BMW was like the pinnacle for me. I just remember watching him pull in and being like, I never was resentful towards success. I was always curious, but I just was so far from like owning a business or understanding how a business worked that it was just like complete curiosity. Like, man, what do, what does he know or do that I am not doing, you know, employee versus owner. And so fast forward to Verizon again, and I'm like, okay, what is this next thing? I don't know what it is. And then I went through some family tragedy, right? Um, my uncle passed away, my mom's youngest brother. And that was really tough because, uh, you know, not always tough for me. We were really close. He used to help me, you know, work on my truck, work on my cars in high school and stuff like that, tinkering in his garage late at night. So we were really close. But, you know, so it was hard on me when he passed away um, of cancer at 42. Wow. Leaving, leaving behind his wife and two kids. But, I couldn't be selfish. I couldn't be a baby because I knew that it was much harder on his kids. It was much harder on my cousins. It was much harder on his wife, my aunt. And it was much harder on my mom who just lost her brother. And it was much harder on my Nina who just lost her son. It was much harder on my papa who just lost his son, his youngest born. Mm. So I, I was like, man, I am shithead. I need to get my shit together. I make way too much money to have nothing to show for it. And that's when I went and met with a financial planner for the first time myself. Mm-hmm. And that's when I bought my first life insurance policy. And that's when I learned about all these things that I didn't know. I didn't know with mm-hmm. financial vehicles and, you know, where you can put your money and do all these things. And that's when I started to become curious and obsessed with these things. And then, you know, one thing led to another about a year later, I got an opportunity to go into the industry. And from there, I kind of jumped off the cliff and learned how to fly on the way down um, started with life insurance. You know, that wasn't a good fit. The first agency or firm I was with only lasted about six months because the leadership was just, uh, you know, not aligned at all from a core value standpoint. And then, um, you know, just like a, a millionaire, right? Somebody who was financially successful, but like we talk about an apex, not, not checking any other, other boxes in life, like mm-hmm. horses, right? Not, not doing the the things that we want to do to be the best version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, so I moved on from that. It was really toxic, but it got me into the industry, right? It got me in there. So um, then I go to this other small firm and, you know, my mentor at the time made all these promises that we were going to go conquer the world together. And that didn't happen. It's whatever. Um, but I, but I was about to fail out of the industry, right? I had burned through my savings that I started with which is um, you know, not as much as it should have been in hindsight, but it never is. So I was like, my parents were like telling me, man, this might not be it. You've been through two firms. It hasn't been a good fit. You know, this guy let you down, um, made all these promises and didn't 
keep and you know it partially was me too but at the same time you know me i'm gonna put in the work i literally didn't know what to do i literally had no direction i was so green in the industry still that um yeah i just was like kind of spinning my wheels and so finally this was early 2020 we parted ways and i like i said my parents were like hey i think it's time to go get a job man you need a reliable income you need a reliable salary you need a 401k like this entrepreneurship business owner thing isn't working for you mm-hmm. and like hearing your mom say that no offense to mom she was just looking out for what she thought she knew was best and what was safe and you know she saw me struggling she saw me uh failing essentially yeah right let, let me guess it lit a fire in your belly and i was like no i didn't fucking come this far to only come <laughs> yep right yep and uh so i did actually went on a couple job interviews and i remember like actually considering these offers and i was like thirty eight thousand dollars to go get this insurance license and then get like three percent match in my 401k after i've put myself through hell for two years nearly to like try and make this thing work and then you made 28 almost 30 grand in three months and you're just like man well, no, the 28 in three months, I was selling phones. I know. I'm just saying like. But yeah, I, I had proven that to myself already. Like, yes. Yeah, so to your <laughs> point, yes, I knew if I just landed one sale, I could make more than my whole salary taking that job. Mm-hmm. If I really, if I, you know, that's an extreme example. <clears throat> I still to this day haven't made, uh, you know, $38,000 in a single transaction, but I knew the possibility was there and I wasn't mm-hmm. going to give that up because I was already in so deep a hole that I was like, well, 38 grand a year isn't going to solve my problems. Yeah. So I got to do this. So I kept on looking. And that's when I met up with the firm I'm with now. And mm-hmm. I knew right from the get-go it was the right fit. I knew it was the one. But because of these other two previously, I was like, I got to hold my horses. I got to make sure I'm not just settling on number one. Got to make sure I date around and interview around, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, make sure that I'm looking at all the options this time. Cause I already made two mistakes. I can't afford another one. I was already broke. I had already burned through all my savings. Like I said, so I interviewed a couple of firms around town. Turns out, you know, this was like the obvious choice. It was just like shining above, like over and above all the other possibilities or options. And so that was February of 2020, when I signed my contract with this firm now here, Commonwealth out of Boston. And sure enough, you know, that's how I got to like the starting point of where I'm at now. That's kind of when I would say I hit the reset button on my career because the first two years, I don't even really count because I was just going from firm to firm, spinning my wheels. Mm -hmm. So I really started over in 2020. And then, of course, two weeks later, the pandemic hits, shuts everything down. Mm. Right. So now I'm working through that. But uh, but yeah, I'll pause. That's kind of how I got at least to where I'm at now with like the firm I'm with. There's been a whole another cast of things that uh, has happened since then, um, as far as, you know, the person that you've met and come to know. Yeah. But but yeah, man, that's kind of that's the, I guess, life story, if you will. And like I said, I could have made that a lot longer, but that's going from childhood up through to where I'm at now as a financial planner. And so since I've been at Commonwealth, I've gotten all my securities licenses and actually working on, um, you know, my CHFC chartered financial consultant designation now. And, and ultimately that will lead me to getting my CFP within the next probably two years. Um, 
and I'm working with business owners that are running, you know, seven to eight figure companies haven't, haven't landed a nine figure company yet, but I'm sure it'll happen mm-hmm. in time. So it's just wild, wild to think that, um, you know, I could have been a lot more dramatic with some of the things I went through. Um, but nonetheless, it's just wild to think that, you know, it's me sitting here doing this stuff now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure man. In some, in some aspects. Oh yeah. I, I can actually relate in so many different ways that, I mean, this is our first time really hearing your side of it. You know, I came on as a client and we got to know each other on my side, but it's really cool to hear your side now. And we have a lot of parallels, truthfully. Um, The only real kicker is that I let go of the partying earlier than you did. Yeah, man. If only like I, I love what you're doing for that reason. Actually, should actually tag you in the live that I did the other night in my group because I was literally talking about if I could have only gotten through to 21-year-old Drew. So pretend like you're talking to him right now because this is the listeners. They are the 21-year-old. Yeah, man. If I if I could go back and talk to 21-year-old Drew, I'm 31 now, so this is 10 years ago. Man, I would be a multi-multi-millionaire by now. And it's not that I regret anything or resent any of the choices I made because that gave me the story that I can now tell. That gave me the testimony mm-hmm. that I can now share to change other lives and to give me the um, belief that I can go out and do this. Because I think you can't just go through life and not have bad things happen to you. Yeah. But but I kind of did make it worse than it needed to be. I made some of those choices on my, and there was some se- somewhat self-inflicted. You right? had a hard head. I had a really hard head and I'm lucky that I was spared to be able to learn and not die be- from some of my stupid choices. Like not even exaggerating, like to see some of the cards, they were so bad Yeah, that I just deleted the pictures because I was so ashamed. Um, and, you know, I had an iPhone four at the time, so I had those storage problems. So it was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> those are the pictures that got deleted. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Well, I mean, Physically, I was talking figuratively of a hard head, but you got to have a pretty hard head to hit break the freaking windshield with your head through. Oh, I got I no doubt had a pretty bad concussion. Yeah. On that. But yeah, to your point about what would I say to my younger self, man? It's just like if I could have just channeled that energy that I spent drinking, doing drugs and chasing girls all in the name of trying to be cool trying to fit in Mm -hmm. with people that didn't give a damn about me personally. Right. They were just kind of probably chasing similar things that I was chasing Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all that leaves you empty and unfulfilled, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the the meaningless one night stands the, and I've had more than I care to admit, like the, the, the drunken nights, like all of that stuff seems like a good idea in the short term. It's all short term satisfaction. It's all like that dopamine you know, yep. those, 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 you know, uh, rushes, if you will, that we all chase, mm-hmm. but it leaves you unfulfilled, not yep. to mention, like, not to mention you only have that amount, that amount, that level of vitality in your life for a given period of time. And it's in your twenties. You are never like, don't me wrong. I'm not old. I'm not complaining. I still only should probably sleep like six hours a night and I'm going, going, going all other hours of the day. But you just have a different level of energy and vitality in your 20s that you cannot you cannot ever duplicate again. You preach and that, I, bro. You and do. I use that and I use that to go poison myself 
-hmm. and still be able to function. Like I would poison myself, whether it be drugs or alcohol, right? Until the wee hours of the night and then wake up at seven, eight o'clock in the morning, go to work and sell um, cell phones and make, make a killing. Imagine if I was actually on the ball on the top of my game, learning the things that yeah. I'm learning, doing what you're doing now and actually using those years to build up my life and my wealth and my health and my relationships. So check this out. What I'm building and doing is for the young Drews, bro. Cause I was that guy too. Luckily I broke out of it early cause I was feeling unfulfilled. I was getting drunk. I was doing the drugs. I was chasing the ladies and it just there's it just kept making that hole bigger and i was making those paychecks i joined then you just need more and more of it to yeah fill. i was making the paychecks you know and filling it with all the this whole bar shops, right yeah and it was chasing that admiration like i want to be accepted i want to be part and, of the cool yeah, guys dude, I, I dealt drugs yeah for a of time to be like the guy that everybody needed to go to right but it's it's unfulfilling one of the things i'm teaching in conquer your life I is doing, bro? being I, fulfilled like, <laughs> you yeah, know what dude, i mean one one night my mom showed up at my doorstep being like what are you doing i heard this and this and this and like the heartbreak in her voice and on her face i'll never forget like as if i didn't put her through enough already with all the accidents and all the sleepless right? nights he knew that I was out up to no good, wondering literally verbatim if I was gonna, you know, wake up in a ditch somewhere. Yeah. And then I go do the do the whole other iteration of bullshit before I finally grew up. So now it is my duty and obligation to retire my parents because I put them through so much shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you there, man. Uh, like I told you, we got a lot of parallels there. I've put my parents through some shit. Um Granted, not as much time yeah, as no, you I mean, did. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we need to like compare who did it worse. Or who did I know, it no, no, I'm not. I'm right? just saying. But, uh, for the I, definitely, I definitely was a stubborn one, and yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I still wonder why I, uh, you know, why I was saved, why I was spared, and that's what drives me. That's why I, you know, uh, do all this stuff that I do, and and um, work as hard as I do, and try to make the impact that I do, is because. I try to remind myself as often as I can um, and it keeps me in gratitude. Right. Mm -hmm. But and sometimes it's easy to fall out of it. Um, it's easy to get short sighted, but I always try to snap myself back into like, Hey man, you could just not be here. Yep. Yep. And I could tell you too, to add to that, man, is that you never know the ripple effects that you just poured into my podcast. It's going to pour into somebody who's making these decisions that you used to make, you know, that's why you went through it. You know, now you have mm -hmm. this story that nobody else can uh, take from you that you're going to share with the world and you're going to impact lives. You know, it's cool to see. Yeah, man. I, there was, uh, there were some dark days where it was just me. And I think for anybody listening, who's in a similar place, like nobody's coming to save you. Um, you got to pull up your bootstraps on your own and do it. And and I'm telling you, you you will get help along the way, but you know, nobody's going to help that guy on the side of the road with his hand out with his thumb out trying to hitchhike as, mm -hmm. as as much as they're going to stop and help the guy on the road that's got a broken down car and he's trying to fix that tire or he's trying to push it down the road and he's trying to help himself. Mm -hmm. so if you're already trying to help yourself, people are a lot more likely to, to come and, uh, you know, play caboose and, and pick up the rear and help you out. But if, mm -hmm. if you're not helping yourself, then, uh, then you don't have a fighting chance. Yep. So that's my, my thing is like, Hey, suck it up. 
it's, it might be hard to conceptualize like where you are right now and where you think you want to be. But now looking back 10 years, I could have never guessed. It would have said you were effing crazy to tell me that I'd have my series seven and that I make a living giving people financial advice. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's crazy to think about, man. Because like, that night when I had $6 in my damn bank account, I chose to go get dollar beers. <laughs> it's a mindset thing, man. Right, dude? What is what is your brain telling you, listeners? You got $6 yeah. in account. Are you going to use that to get a bus to go make some money? You're going to go use are you it. Gonna, to- are you going to, are you going to, exactly. Are you, or are you going to put a bandaid on that suffering? Are you going to put some comfort in your suffering? Or are you going to go through the pain to actually make life better? Mm-hmm. And uh, really, man, what you described was the example of what I'm building here at Conquer Your Life. Because if you would have been disciplined in your mind, body, and spirit at a younger age, you would have been able to do a lot better and made better decisions. Well, yeah. I, just, I would say to myself and the people around me, a lot of pain and a lot of money. But the, the first one's more important. The money is always replaceable. Mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful and blessed. I never killed anybody else. I never killed myself. Mm-hmm. Never seriously hurt someone, right? Because a lot of fights too, you know, I could have seriously hurt someone. That's the part I left out. It was a, it was full on degeneracy, bro. You got in a bunch of fights? Oh, every weekend for a period of for a period of time. Oh, a you, you were a one of those guys, huh? Had ex girlfriend that like was really toxic and would like essentially like go flirt with other guys around parties and like turn them on me. And it was like, yeah, it was, it was no bueno. Oh, that's fucked up. It was, it was a contributing factor to at least two out of the four accidents, but nonetheless, it's still my fault, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah man. Crazy stuff. Um, That's, that's essentially kind of a, a, a recap in, in vague detail, believe it or not of, mm-hmm. you know, how we got at least to, you know, 2020, I didn't quite cover 2020 through now, but uh, maybe yeah. another. And that's cool, man, too, that you're a financial advisor who has been through the ringer to understand why financial advising is so important. And that's why your message is that much more powerful because there's yep. a, I'm not knocking any financial advisors who haven't been through shit, but I'm just saying like, you have a awesome story to tell because you have an audience of people that don't even know what the fuck a financial advisor is. And then you could tell your story like, listen, you do not want to go through this like I did. You need yeah, no help. kidding. That's that's why I say like bridging the gap between white collar and blue collar is because I feel like, you know, uh, white collar or blue collar are not a lot of our country, a lot of our people, you know, people in general, the middle class in general is not educated on these things. And you know, I'll go out and say it's by design, it's on purpose. Because if we were For more, sure. powerful, we were more wealthy. If we were more educated, then what would we be? We'd be harder con- to control because we'd have more independence. We'd have more choices. We'd have mm-hmm. more options. And another so, thing too that I was going to add to that as well is the reason why they target the younger generation, like you said, where you have all this energy to get stuck in those bad habits of drinking and smoking and doing drugs clubbing. when you're younger. Yeah. It's yeah, targeted. That's what the cool thing is to do. And then once you build those habits, you can't break free from those chains and shackles. Not too easy. Can, right? Like you said, if only I figured it out sooner. I'm in that being said, you're right. But I'm still so grateful that I figured it out when I did because we all know that mm-hmm. there's people that go through their whole life 
never looking in the mirror and taking responsibility and ownership of this shit. Yeah. And they could, and they make the same mistakes and they live the same year over and over and over again. And some of them never wake up or maybe they don't until their forties, fifties or sixties. And then it's too late or it's not necessarily too late. I mean, but still you just wasted so much of your life when you could have done it earlier. And it, and that was their own path. You know, you never know what they're going to do. Yeah, now. I mean, because... obviously some people choose it. Um, and I think some people just don't even realize how, entrenched in this toxicity and negativity they are and mm -hmm. you can't realize it until you kind of separate from it and yeah blow away yep take these lessons and learn them very well my young men like myself in this in this on this podcast because it's huge there's a reason why i'm doing this is not just because it's on accident i see you guys i've been where you are he's been where you are it's it's a real struggle in life in society as a whole and it's up to us men including to take advantage of it to conquer our life now so then we could teach others how to break out of it as well so drew where can we find you brother honestly man um you know facebook or instagram is probably the easiest place and from there if you want to have a more direct conversation um you know you can hit me in the dms you can go to my county link or um, you can even go to Commonwealth Financial Group, Commonwealth Financial Group .com slash advisors and look me up there. Um, you know, you can even schedule a meeting there directly. But I would say give me a follow and we can connect from there. Uh, Facebook or Instagram. It's uh, Drew Horgan on Facebook and AP Horgan on Instagram. Coolio. Well, again, thank you for pouring this knowledge and telling your story. Uh, I can't wait to hear the feedback that I get from this episode. And for everybody listening, don't forget to give me a review and check this out. Share it if you thought it was beneficial and you took some golden nuggets out of it. Um, we need to get this into more ears. As you can tell, there's a lot of younger men and people out there in general that need to hear this. So thank you again for listening. And always remember to conquer your life. It's just one step at a time in the right direction. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Till next time.